The following program was made possible by the generosity of those who have determined to hold fast to the true Roman Catholic religion, as expounded by the Roman Catholic Church before the disasters of Vatican II and the so-called New Mass. Hello and welcome to What Catholics Believe. I'm your host, Thomas Nagley. With me tonight is Father William Jenkins. He's a traditional Catholic priest and a member of the Society of St. Pius V, and he's also the pastor of Immaculate Conception Church right here in Norwood, Ohio. Hello, Father. How are you? Very fine, Tom. Thank you. Yourself? Doing well. Good. Great to be here with you again, Father. Great. I hope you're enjoying this beautiful Christmas season. Absolutely. You too. Yeah. Ready for the new year. That's right. Well, Father, uh, today... Uh, we have the, uh, the feast day of, of St. Thomas Becket, uh, December 29th, St. Thomas of Canterbury. And there was a um, rather fascinating, uh, we all thought, uh, presidential proclamation uh, that, that was made and, and actually signed by, by President Trump uh, commemorating the feast day of St. Thomas Becket. And um, reading through this, Father, it, uh, I, I found it rather, rather fascinating. I mean, it almost sounds like something a Catholic would write, uh, at least a, a Catholic at heart. Um, he speaks very, very glowingly of, of St. Thomas Becket. Uh, President Trump does in this proclamation. He calls him a, a lion of religious liberty. Uh, he, he tells the story um, of, of St. Thomas Becket's life in very glowing terms, uh, speaks very admirably of him. Um, he says that uh, St. Thomas Becket's martyrdom changed the course of history. Um, he, he says a lot of things in here, Father, and uh, just to, to read a couple uh, quotes, he says, uh, On this day we celebrate and revere Thomas Becket's courage, courageous stand for religious liberty, and we reaffirm our call to end religious persecution worldwide. He says we pray for religious believers everywhere who suffer persecution for their faith. Uh, he says to... Uh, well, he says at the very end, Father, he says, A society without religion cannot prosper, a nation without faith cannot endure, because justice, goodness, and peace cannot prevail without the grace of God. Father, you, I know you've read through this proclamation. Uh, what, was your, what was your reaction to this uh, presidential proclamation by President Trump commemorating St. Thomas Becket? Well, I was delighted to see this, and I, I see the grace of God at work in this. doesn't mean it's theologically uh, perfect, right. or Catholic understanding, of course. I mean, the idea of religious liberty was uh, put forward at Vatican II in the last document, Dini Tatis Humanae Personae, and uh, it proclaimed a universal uh, prohibition against coercion, but also a universal prohibition against any restraint, right? And the Church herself has always taught that one cannot be coerced to act contrary to his conscience, uh, but that one can be restrained from acting according to his conscience if his conscience is erroneous and wrong. And, um, and so the Catholic Church's traditional understanding of religious liberty is not what the modern religious, modern yeah. world's understanding is. Yeah. And uh, I believe that uh, President Trump here reflects more the, the modern world's understanding of uh, religious liberty, probably more or less in line with Vatican II. Now, having said that, um, I would say it is an altogether remarkable proclamation by uh, United States President 
he is actually uh, calling against the persecution of people for their religious beliefs. And uh, I think we can all agree that people should not be persecuted <laughs> for their religious belief. We, we do not believe in persecution. So in that sense, I think it certainly is a, a very Catholic statement from that point of view. <clears throat> Even saying of him, by the way, this is to uh, commemorate the 850th anniversary right. of Thomas Abeckett's uh, martyrdom yes. in the cathedral at Canterbury. Um, it was uh, December 29th in the year 1170 that Thomas Abeckett uh, was confronted by four, four soldiers, four knights of King Henry, who had determined to rid Henry of this troublesome priest, and they did, and they did it in a rather, in a very cruel, brutal way. But uh, Thomas Becket was more than willing to give his life for Christ and in defense of the church, in defense of the faith, and in defense of the faithful. So one can, can read his life and be edified by the example that he set. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, not only was Thomas Becket slain for the faith and the freedom of the church against uh, state tyranny, but uh, his death set in motion a, a strong, um, you might say, backlash against, against the tyranny of the state, so that even in dying, Thomas More, Thomas Abeckett, rather, won the battle. It's so as though his death was losing the battle, winning the war, I should say, against lay investiture, because within uh, four years, uh, King Henry had to make public Penance. He had to do public penance for uh, being responsible for the murder of uh, St. Thomas of Becket and retreat from his positions of domination, the temptation to dominate the church. And uh, by the year 1215, then we had the Magna Carta in England. And one, I think, can trace historically the influence behind the Magna Carta uh, right back to the sacrifice of St. Thomas of Becket. You know, uh, St. Thomas of Becket had been Henry's boon companion when they were youngsters. I mean, when they were young men, they would carouse together, they'd drink together, they'd do a lot of sinful things together. And when uh, Henry succeeded in having his great companion and friend, uh, Thomas of Becket, appointed as Archbishop of Canterbury, Henry must have thought that he had finally succeeded in, in achieving his wildest dreams of now having unfettered access to the authority, the prestige, and even the revenues of the, of the church in England through his friend Thomas Abeckett. But by the stroke of grace, when Thomas Abeckett was ordained a priest and raised to the episcopate and given the... Uh, you know, the, the Archdiocese of Canterbury, uh, he became a great champion for the rights of the church, resisting the, the rapacious tyranny of Henry, protecting the faith and the faithful, as they say, against the King of England, so that Henry, uh, who considered Thomas Abeckett to be a great ally and who would be his number one asset in England, um, turned against him bitterly, pursued him. 
when Thomas Becket took refuge in a Cistercian monastery across the the uh, the Straits, across the uh, the English Sound, as it were. Uh, uh, Henry was threatening the monastery that he was going to come and sack the monastery to get it to get it. Uh, Thomas Becket. Thomas left the monastery for that reason, actually, to leave it unmolested by Henry. But he did return to England. Thomas did return to England, and there he met his death, December 29th, in 1170. The, um, the message for us here and now, by the way, is very important. We, we could not, uh, let's say, overemphasize the poignancy of this declaration of President Trump right now. Because at the time that uh, Thomas Becket was appointed Archbishop of Canterbury, it must have seemed to the Church in England that essentially all was lost, in the sense that the, the crown of England was held by a, a man like Henry, uh, who wanted to devour the Church, and his great ally had taken over as Archbishop of Canterbury. <clears throat> so the church must have thought it had completely fallen into the, into the hands and power of uh, the secular state. And, um, but it was obvious that God was going to use that as an opportunity to thwart all of Henry's plans by raising up a great saint through the power of grace, transforming Thomas Becket into a great champion of faith. We need to keep that in mind when we're facing the situation we are in the world today, that as dire and as grim as things seem, we look back to a time when things looked very grim uh, in England and uh, how God was asking, actually using the designs and the deceits of worldly and godless men to accomplish his purposes. And we see the power of grace coming and transforming the mind and the heart and the life of one man, Thomas Becket, and what an enormous difference it made. It changed everything. And so we have to trust in the power of God to do just that. That really comes down to the power of prayer we have, of obtaining the graces necessary. And God knows where to put those graces, to apply them, to accomplish the great effect, you know. So this, this declaration, in honor of the 850th anniversary of the martyrdom of Thomas Becket, which is what it is, it's entitled Proclamation on the 850th Anniversary of the Martyrdom of St. Thomas Becket. It was, it's dated December 28th, so the day before the feast day. And you, you notice something here too. He says he's holding Thomas Becket up as an example of fighting for right, fighting for the, the, the right to practice religion and to practice faith against the tyranny of the state. How appropriate is that in the face of all these lockdowns, right? He says Thomas Becket's martyrdom changed the course of history, and it is so true. It eventually brought about numerous constitutional limitations and the power of the state over the church across the West. In England, Beckett's murder led to the Magna Carta, Carta's declaration 45 years later that the English church shall be free 
and shall have its rights undiminished and its liberties unimpaired, quote-unquote. Now that's, that's quite a statement uh, right here in the declaration, the proclamation of, uh, of Donald Trump. And he, uh, he says, we are inviting, we are inviting uh, our, the, throughout America, our schools and our churches to celebrate mm-hmm. and to commemorate the, the sacrifice of Thomas Becket. Now, that would refer to public schools also. Of course, they're on vacation. Well, what do they call it now? They call it Christmas vacation, or are they allowed to call it that? I don't think so. Winter break, whatever they call it. Winter break. But he's actually talking about schools across America. He's not just talking about religious schools. Mm -hmm. Uh, Actually commemorating St. Thomas More, St. Thomas of Beckett. (laughs) I I associate the two because (laughs) you you can see why I would associate the two. Um, they were martyred essentially for the same reason, fighting for the same thing, right? And um, if we are to continue to be the land of the free, he says, no government official, no governor, no bureaucrat, no judge, and no legislator must be allowed to decree what is orthodox in matters of religion or to require religious believers to violate their consciences. (laughs) No right is more fundamental to a peaceful, prosperous, and virtuous society. So, you know, we have a very powerful statement coming out from the President of the United States here. In the face of the lockdowns, in the face of the challenge that is going on right now, uh, in the face of this impending decision of January 6th and the confrontation, that will take place, we're confident, will take place there at the joint uh, session of the Senate and the House, all the members of the Senate and the House will come together to finally decide who are to be the electors who will make up the Electoral College for the Presidency of the United States of America. This is going to be a, a monumental event. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have to pray very, very seriously for this. The fact that a present president would come out and make a proclamation like this now is, I think, a stroke of grace. Well, what do you think prompted this this declaration, Father? I mean, anyone who knows President Trump and his, and his history and his background, I mean, this mm-hmm. doesn't seem like something that... Uh, it doesn't seem very Trumpian in the yeah. sense, in terms of his background, right? Yeah. But uh, there there's something happening to him and with him and in him I believe there's something happening there, and I can't. I have to ascribe it to grace, you know. Even the fact that he, and to some extent, I guess, practically alone, it seems, is willing to stand and refuse to simply surrender the country to the perpetrators of the greatest fraud in the history of, well, certainly in the history of, the, of our of our of our republic. Yeah. And he's simply not willing to to back down and give the country away. He's not willing to cede the country. It's not that he's not willing to cede the presidency, because he said if if he were legitimately uh, defeated in the election and the elector uh, a bona fide electoral college decided uh, against him and for us, he would he would cede the election then. But he cannot cede a fraudulent election because that would be essentially betraying the American people. 
Not only those who voted for him, but those who didn't, but all of those who voted honestly. So he feels a responsibility for it. And again, even there, it seems to be something of a religious uh, commitment because he takes his oath of office very seriously in stark contrast to so many others who are willing to be bought by the, bought by the Chinese or threatened by them, or both, right? And how many have refused to step up and fulfill their oaths of office uh, in the face of all of this overwhelming evidence of electoral fraud? How many refused to even look at it, right? For why? Well, either they're traitors or they're bought by Chinese money or they're intimidated by the threats of Chinese, communists, socialists, um, Antifa, or whatever other minions they have in the country today, um, or both. Um, but uh, President Trump doesn't seem to yield to intimidation. Mm -hmm. Father, what what do you expect to to uh, take place at this joint session of Congress on, on January 6th? You know, there's the um, this uh, supposed enormous huge rally uh, up there that, that is planned in, in D.C. Um, mm -hmm. And it seems that the, the, the plans or the, the goal of this rally is, is rather unclear. Um, do you expect any kind of serious um, confrontation with this January 6th joint session of Congress? What, what do you expect to come out of this? What, what should we... Well, you know, as I, under, as I understand it, the rules are that the, the joint session of the United States Congress, the House and the Senate are going to be and uh, the presider will be uh, the vice president. Mm -hmm. And uh, there are those who say that according to the Constitution, a senator and a member of the House uh, each have to object to the electors, uh, which then would um, require debate. The Senate would retire to debate. The House would retire to debate. And... Um, they would have to some to come to some kind of agreement about as far as the electors. Now I understand that it is said that the the vice president himself um, has an enormous amount of sway as to what electors are are allowed to be recognized. Um, the question really is uh, who is going to name the electors. Who actually get to choose the president, right? Um, we know that seven states sent, well, actually two slates of electors, right? The Democrats in those seven states sent their own electors who would be expected to uh, choose Joseph Biden. And uh, But the Republican legislatures sent another slate of uh, electors also to challenge them. And so seven states would be enough to actually at least um, halt the election of either one. You know, uh, if just a few of those states uh, went the other way, right, uh, as if they split the states, that neither one, uh, Donald Trump or Joseph Biden, would have enough uh, a clear majority in the electoral college to win the presidency. So, uh, as I understand it, that is. And so this is a very serious matter here, right? 
And we have to pray seriously about it. We have to pray seriously that those who are being, bo- uh, well, who are being, as it were, tempted by being bought by Chinese money or Dominion's money. Uh, Dominion has lots of money in this game too, you know. Um, those who are being threatened, um, but they're being threatened with death, death of their spouses, uh, the lady who is the head of the General Services Administration, I think it is, who uh, would not start the transition process, was said that she received thousands of threats to herself, her husband, her children, and her pets, is what she said. It was for that reason that Trump told her, go ahead and start the transition to take the pressure off. Um, But one has to admire this dear woman for standing firm and not moving until she got the order to do so in the face of all of these threats. Would that our senators and congressmen had as much courage, would that our Supreme Court justices had the courage that this woman has. But evidently they don't. Well, some of them might. Some of them are pledging that they're going to object to fraudulent electors. Uh, Electors chosen by result of a fraudulent vote. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, we hope and pray that they stand their ground. That's where our prayers are absolutely indispensable because it is by our prayers that the graces will be given to those who are in those positions of responsibility to fulfill their oaths and stand firm <clears throat> against allowing our country to be sold, basically, mm-hmm. sold to the Chinese, the communist Chinese. Yep. Father, there's there's been uh, some talk of uh, you know with with all this going on uh, of some sort of civil war or something along those lines or maybe even some some of the states of the union uh, leaving the union and, and forming their own uh, new new union. How how likely do you think uh, is any of that possible? Do you do you think any of that anything like that will come to pass? Any any type of civil war at all? Well, it could. I mean, they're they're predicting. When I say they are predicting, I mean uh, there are those. Uh, pundits and uh, commentators and political analysts on both sides who are, uh, you know, spouting that rhetoric about civil war. There, there's talk. Well, after the Supreme Court justices abdicated their responsibility, miserably failed in uh, their oaths, uh, you know, to make, keep their oaths, and. Um, refused to hear Texas's complaint, and, and 18 other states that joined Texas, I understand, at least in principle, uh, on the grounds that Texas had no standing, right? <laughs> had no standing in terms of who became the president of the United States of America. It had no interest in that, really, <laughs> compelling interest in that. Yeah. Patently absurd, absurd, insultingly absurd. Um, then... Um, the, um, you know, t- Texas uh, Attorney General, at Alan West, was talking about seceding from the Union. And uh, frankly, I, I think he had a really good good reason to talk about that, honestly. Um, the head of the Republican Party? Yeah. Uh, head of the Republican Party in Texas. I'm sorry, that's right, not Attorney General. I beg your pardon, you're right. And uh, I think he had a good reason to talk about that. Because, I mean, let's face it, if... If all of the courts are refusing to hear the evidence, they will not even hear it. Yeah. Right? 
so that the the mainstream media keeps saying there's no evidence, there's no evidence, no evidence. Well, of course, because the courts, if you want to call them cowardly, if you want to call them turncoat, if you want to call them, you know, uh, whatever you want to call them, the, the, the courts will not hear the case. Um, but, of course, you don't get a chance to present the evidence to the, to the, to the courts, you yeah. know. Um, so there is all this evidence in depth, fact, but it's, it's so far they can't find a court who's willing to listen to it in the entire country, all the way up to the Supreme Court of the United States of America. Now, uh, Sidney Powell has a case that is on the docket for the Supreme Court, but they're slow walking it. They're, they're, they're going to extend this out until after the inauguration, right? And there are some other suits too that the, I understand the Supreme Court has agreed to hear. But they're going to take their own time getting around to that uh, long after the fact of a transition into a new government. But it, it will be essentially impossible to take any action about it. Yeah. Again, without civil war. So it is very possible that all of these forces, the courts especially, are combining uh, to stymie this whole effort toward justice for the entire country to the point where they are going to precipitate a civil war. It's possible. God forbid that it would come to that, but it is possible. But let's face it, I mean, uh, much of the country is not going to submit to a dubious presidency with all of his dubious acts and dubious judges that he names, and so they're just not going to submit to it. Um, and if that means secession and civil war and so on, well, it may well come to that. We just have to pray that none of that happens and uh, that this is resolved in the right way, right? As it was meant to be resolved yeah. by the Constitution, uh, Constitution of the United States of America. But uh, the problem is, I mean, if, if, these, if people take uh, oaths to uphold the Constitution, they swear to God that they will do so, and then they will not do it. Uh, where else does one go? for justice under law, then this is no longer a nation under law or under God, right? right. Either one. Right. Well, Father, there's... So uh, there is a danger, that's definitely. Yeah. Uh, well, there's uh, there's certainly a lot of, of other things going on in, uh, in conjunction with all of this, Father. You know, there's there's still definitely the uh, the vaccine question out there. We mm -hmm. uh, have, have a lot of follow-up questions in regards to our latest program and um know we uh we plan to address address some of those soon um but one one other yes i'd like to address those questions i understand that you you've received quite a bit of yes. uh, email information on that yeah. and i'd like to read all of those myself and see uh, before we talk about that because i'd like to answer the exact points of the email sure yeah. just haven't received them yet but i will yeah. get them to look yeah. at them Oh, this is a very busy time, as you know, and I'm sure everybody appreciates that. Absolutely. So, uh, yeah, yeah. But I want to read all these through myself and, and get to that point. But uh, it is interesting, uh, uh, by the way, with regard to the vaccine, yeah. that the man who is the mainstream media's almost uh, star for, for uh, guidance and matters of health and vaccines uh, Anthony Fauci yeah. now has come out and publicly acknowledged that he lied. Yeah. That when he said that to reach, to reach herd immunity, 
we had to vaccinate up to maybe 60%, maybe 70% of the population. Well, he was actually deliberately low, keeping that figure down. Now he says it's actually more like 90% of the population has to be inoculated with their vaccines. And when he was asked, well, why did you say 60 to 70% back then? He said, well, at that time, there was a lot of uh, uh, resistance to the idea of vaccine. But now that it, you know, we have all these cases and cases and cases, now we see, and, and the propaganda too, by the way, that more and more people are more open to the vaccine. So now I can tell them the truth, that it's really 90%. I didn't think they'd go for it back then uh, with all the resistance. But now I think the people are ready to accept the fact that it's going to be, have to be 90%. So he actually publicly acknowledged that he lied and deceived the people of the United States of America, which is really, a, um, well, it's astonishing to me because you'd think the man would lose all credibility. But he, he talks about this as though he was very clever in what he did and you know, this was actually really a good thing. I was just kind of playing this cool back then just because I thought that this is what the public would be willing to listen to. Mm -hmm. But all the time I knew it wasn't true. Has anyone batted an eye at this? Well, yeah, there are some people who are saying, well, why, why should we believe anything you say? Yeah. Others, well, let's face it, there are others who actually admire that way yeah. of conducting themselves, so, Democrats. Um, because lying is a way of life. Oh, yeah. And they almost admire the lie. Uh, they almost admire, admire those who can lie effectively and get away with it and use it to rise to power, you know. Uh, it's like the liar's club, where the bigger, bolder lie you can tell uh, brings the biggest round of applause. Um, and And really, I mean, there's a certain large faction here in the United States of America, which, you know, as I always associate it with abortion because I think with the, with, with the rise of abortion in this country, people had to, had to embark upon a career of lying. People just have to lie and lie and lie. They have to lie to themselves. They have to lie themselves that this is not a child they're putting to death. And now that they finally admit that it is a child they're putting to death, they say, well, we're not pro-abortion, we're pro-choice. And, uh, you know, they, they, they invent other lies, though. But it's an entire life based on lying. I think uh, the entire Democratic Party, uh, in its platform uh, with regarding to abortion and a vast array of perversions today, is practically, uh, I mean, that's like the fundamental... Uh, ethos and pathos of the Democratic Party, as far as I, I, as I see it. And so it doesn't surprise me to see that uh, lying becomes normal. It's, it's, it's the norm for their way of life. It is the secret to their, their power. It's how they gain power and, and keep it. Um, you know, even with this Bill Gates, uh, I mean, Gates... He, the way he conducts um, his affairs around the globe has drawn a lot of alarm from people. 
And um, people are, are not necessarily, you know, they, they saw him with, with his wife, Melinda, there. They saw him giving an interview in which he was lamenting the fact that people were not taking this uh, virus as seriously as they needed to, and they weren't open enough to his vaccines. But then he, he turned to her with this smirk on his face, and he said, but now with what's coming next, they won't be able to ignore that. And he had this grin on his face, as though, just wait, when, when they experience what's coming next, they will, they will accept what we're trying to do to them, you know? And this is a man who doesn't stop short at even deciding to tinker with the sun. I mean, you'd think that as a human being on the face of the earth, one thing you have a right to is God-given sunlight. You know, when the lockdowns took place, they were locking people away inside their homes. when what they really needed was vitamin D3, among other things, vitamin D3 that was formed in the body by sunlight. But instead of letting people enjoy the sunlight, they were locking them in their homes, exactly the opposite of what they really needed for their own health. And now Gates wants to block the sunlight. And it sounds ridiculous. It sounds almost like a fairy... like. Some sort of crazy Mythology. science fiction <laughs> story about this. It, it, it's sort of like the, these movies, Despicable Me. Uh, you didn't see that much. I saw part of it, but it's about some spy character or something other. And his arch rival, the arch rival, I think, is is very much like Gates-like character. Yeah. And uh, but they're engaged in these massive undertakings to steal the moon, um, steal the Sphinx, right, from Egypt. And this is what they do because they can afford to do this, see? And uh, now, now, I mean, I don't mean to get off the track here, but Bill Gates is actually funding with millions of dollars a project that's being uh, undertaken through Harvard University to essentially... Uh, uh, unleash into the atmosphere uh, particles that will reflect the sun's light back into the atmosphere and away from the earth to reduce the amount of sunlight coming into the earth. Now, you know, you'd think it takes a lot of nerve for somebody to say, we're going to reset your life for you and we're going to reset the lives of every single man, woman, and child on the face of the earth we're going to reset the entire world. That's what they call the Great Reset, right? We're going to change your entire way of life. Well, they might ask, well, did, did, did we ask you to do that for it? No, no, no. You have no choice. You don't know any better. We know better, and we can afford to do this. We are going to reset the entire life of all of mankind, and you have nothing to say about it. Okay, that takes some audacity. But to say, we are going now to spray into the atmosphere these small particles that are going to reflect the sunlight away from the Earth, so to engage in solar geoengineering 
to con- try to control the amount of sunlight that can come into onto the Earth, the planet Earth. Were they asked to do this by anyone? No, they're just going to do this. They're undertaking that, and they're experimenting with every single one of us, our lives and the lives of children for generations to come. Who are these people? Who do they think they are? So they have billions of dollars and they can do it. So that gives them the right to do it. And mankind is just going to sit there and let them do this to them. Every one of us. Is this possible? This is the mentality we're dealing with. And this is what is going to wreak havoc uh, throughout the world. It's wreaking havoc now with their vaccines, right? And they're going to vaccinate the world against sunlight. How wonderful is that? Who was it? who said, maybe you, just not long ago, that maybe this is the prelude to the three days of darkness. Maybe, maybe, maybe Bill Gates will precipitate the three days of darkness with this um, global engineering experiment that he has. Um, but, I mean, you know, this is dangerous. These people are dangerous. Oh, yeah. Those who are heading up this experiment through Harvard actually said that the potential benefits of doing this outweigh the risks. Well, um, whose decision is that? (laughs) And what are the risks to the rest of us? Um, This is all in the name of combating global warming. Of course. Of course, right? And so... um, this is this is this is what we're dealing with. This is uh, this is diabolical, and um, the the you know again you know you see you see this these people experimenting with the entire human race, um, and uh, even to the point of uh, wishing most of us dead, you know, saying that this will be real progress when we can. Uh, engineer the deaths of so many people by our vaccines and mm-hmm. so many other mm-hmm. things we can do. So, well, Father, how, how do we stand up against this? How do we fight back? You, you, nor I, nor I have have the millions or billions of dollars that Bill Gates does. We don't have the same connections. We don't have the influence that he does. How can we possibly uh, stand up and and put a stop to things like this? Well, you know, I, I mean, you and I cannot individually uh, do so. Um, it's going to take saints, you know. Saints have to be willing to pray and to beg God's mercy because, I mean, God can stop them, and ultimately he will, right? Even if they succeed in uh, bringing an antichrist to power, uh, God will stop him, okay, at some point. Uh, the farther question is, how do we stop them from doing that? You know, from even getting it that far. It's going to be the result of prayer. Uh, so we have to have unfailing prayer uh, to turn turn them back, right? Um, look, if one asks, well, would mankind itself have the power to stop them? Well, yes. I mean, mankind would have the power to stop them if it had the will to stop them, right? But uh, whether it be one single individual whom God raises up or, you know, grace is given to all mankind, it's, it's got to be the grace of God at work, you know, regardless of its uh, 
uh, a million people, a billion people, or one. It's got to be the God of God, the grace of God working through that person. Whoever it is. So that's where the the prayer that comes in that we've got to pray. Our Blessed Mother has been entrusted by God with peace for the mankind. I mean, she is the emissary sent by heaven uh, to seek peace for her children here on earth, God-given children here on earth. And so um, she has given us the prayer of the rosary, as our Lord has um, uh, given us his life. So in the rosary, we, we commemorate his life, we pray his life, we ponder his life. And his life uh, with her, I mean, and, and her, her uh, service to him as being uh, uh, both at the manger and under the cross. And uh, so Our Lady is asking us to pray as she prayed. And as she ponders over within her heart the mysteries of the life and death and resurrection of our Lord. Um, that's what her life was all about. And so she wants that to be what our lives are about now in prayer, the rosary. And, of course, she said we have to stop offending God. And, you know, if, if we would do the simple things that she told us to do at Fatima, yes, we could stop this. And I wouldn't say could. I'd say if we did the simple things she instructed us to do at Fatima, we would stop this. Um, it would stop, you know, and God would put an end to it. In his own way. Um, I, I could launch into some historical examples here and some biblical examples, but I don't know that it's really necessary because I'm sure you see it. So, uh, you know, the, the answer is there. It's been presented to us already long ago. We just have to embrace it. Why don't we do that, Father? Pride, arrogance, laziness, lack of faith. A lack of faith. We we see uh, the zeros after the dollar signs of Bill Gates' fortune, and we see um, you know the powerful names you know endorsing uh, um, his plans. Soros too. We we see uh, the major corporations of the world lined up behind this uh, abortion, behind perversion, and all the rest. And we feel intimidated by that. And the reason why we feel intimidated is because we are not saints. And the reason we're not saints is because we have little faith, as our Lord chided the apostles, as the Lord rebuked them. Oh, you of little faith, oh, you of little faith. How our Lord would rebuke us now for that same thing. Oh, you of little faith. But the same Lord who called Peter to walk across the stormy waters of Galilee and... Um, do much greater things than that if we would let him, right? If we simply had the faith. Um, so, um, you know, faith can move mountains. Well, faith can accomplish a lot more than that too, right? <laughs> uh, faith can actually move heaven, heaven and earth. So we need to have that strong, strong faith and practice our faith with wholeheartedly and not be so tepid and so... Uh, lackadaisical about it, uh, as though what we give to God we give grudgingly. We just would like to be left alone to enjoy life. Uh, but every now and then we have to sort of uh, toss a few grains of incense at God, you know, um, 
as though that's all that our religion comes down to. I know traditional Catholics have more faith than that. Um, we have to unite in prayer. And pray as though we really meant it, and as though we really believed it, and as though we believed that God could do it, and would do it. So let's let's do that. We've got uh, uh, some momentous decisions coming up as a nation, so this is the time to pray with uh, great earnestness. Absolutely. Can't let Bill Gates dim the sun. It's, That's you know incredible. what it reminds you of? It reminds you of what our Lord said. Um, the sun will be darkened, yeah. and the moon will no longer give her light. The sun will be darkened, right? You know where to find that? St. Matthew, chapter 24, yeah. right? And St. Luke, right? Um, about the events preceding the end of the world. Now they're, now they're talking about darkening the sun. Can you believe it? Yes. How blatant can you get? Right? Are there anything How else? Uh, brazen. <laughs> anything you else you'd like to bring up tonight for a close program? Well, yeah, we, we have to have that confidence. And God, I, I personally, I, I think we are poised to receive a great grace from God if we simply follow through and don't lose heart. I think we are poised to, re to receive a great, great grace from God. Uh, there are a number of reasons why I, I believe that. Um, I won't go into all of them. One of them is I see there are those who are saying they are going to stand up and they are not going to let this, the presidency of the United States of America be simply stolen. And I think uh, that takes a great grace for them to be able to do that. I, I see the grace of God at work and I see the, the fruit of our prayers. Um, I see those who should be doing that. Mitch McConnell of Kentucky, yeah, Speaker of this, the House, Senate, right? Urging the senators not to oppose the, uh, uh, the Electoral College for, for, for Biden, of all people. Um, that he's urging the senators to basically hand the election to Biden. Uh, how is this possible? Whose money... Whose money is behind that, I wonder, you know? I have to ask myself, uh, what monies have been coming to him now? I see the governor of Georgia and his, his great uh, buddy, uh, the uh, Chinese representative there from Houston, whining and dining, right? And then just before the governor of uh, Georgia uh, gives a hundred million dollars plus for Dominion voting machines. Um, <laughs> now you see things like that, and you realize, you know, we're being we're being we're being sold. Uh, the country is being sold with its population to the Chinese communists. But on the other hand, you see others who are now, and some of them newly elected, who are willing to stand up and refuse to simply allow this to happen. They're going to take that risk, endure that, uh, uh, the whatever threats, refuse whatever bribes are offered them to be silent. And uh, the fact that they're even declaring themselves as willing to do that just makes me see the grace of God at work here to give them that strength they need. We're going to have to continue praying. There are other reasons, I believe, 
that we are poised to see a great grace from God and to see that this is indeed his, his victory, not ours. Because all else seems to be failing. But the grace of God does not fail. So all we have to do is cooperate with it. In our case, that means to pray finally as we, as we should, with confidence in God. Yeah. So let's, let's do that. Uh, we wish all of our, uh, what Catholics, believers, to, uh, the grace of a truly Catholic Christmas season, which lasts all the way to February 2nd. We are supposed to be celebrating these 12 days of Christmas now, from the Nativity of December 25th to the Epiphany of January 6th. Ironically, the date on which these decisions may be made in Washington. Hopefully, decisions made in heaven, right? Um, but not only are we celebrating these 12 days of Christmas, we are meant to celebrate the entire Christmas time, lasting all the way to February 2nd. We should be celebrating the birth of our Savior. That is the momentous event that we should be celebrating now. And we should be celebrating it so joyfully and so loudly and enthusiastic that the whole world around us takes note that we are celebrating the birth of the Savior. We shouldn't be silent about it. We shouldn't be shy about it. And we certainly shouldn't be compliant about it in terms of lockdowns not to celebrate the birth of the Savior. No one can silence us. Um, like the, like the, 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 the blind man who was given his sight they couldn't silence him. They could not silence him, no matter how, to, how far they, what they tried. And so it has to be that way with us right now. And then we have this coming year, and again, uh, we wish all of our, uh, what Catholics believe, supporters, we wish them all a most blessed coming year of our Lord, 2021. Absolutely. So yep. Father, we're praying you. for that. Yeah. Thank you for being here tonight, Father. Oh, you're very welcome, John. Thank you. Yep. And thank our viewers, too. Yep. Thanks to all of our viewers for watching this episode of What Catholics Believe. Until next time, we ask that you all remember the words of Our Lady of Fatima to consecrate yourselves and your families to the Immaculate Heart of Mary and to pray and do penance. Thank you, and God bless you.